0: Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode forty-five. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Happy New Year's! It's two thousand eight, and we still don't have hover cars. What's the freaking holdup? How can we be launching robots to Mars and not have hover cars yet? What exactly are scientists wasting their time on these days? Well, sometimes the weirdest stories you'll hear about are real, and that's why we have Drabble News. MSNBC.com A German study published in the New England Journal of Medicine said that staring at women's breasts can prolong life. Just ten minutes of staring at the charms of a well-endowed female such as Baywatch actress Pamela Lee is equivalent to a 30-minute aerobics workout, said author Dr. Karen Weatherby. The team led by Weatherby was made up of researchers at three hospitals in Frankfurt, Germany, and found these results after monitoring, for five years, the health of 200 male subjects, half of whom were asked to look at busty females daily. The other half had to abstain from doing so. For five years, the boob oglers presented a lower blood pressure, slower resting pulse rates, and decreased risk of coronary artery disease. We believe that by doing this consistently, the average man can extend his life four to five years, said Weatherby. Sexual excitement gets the heart pumping and improves blood circulation. There's no question, gazing at large breasts makes men healthier. Alright, so you're probably thinking to yourself, this Dr. Weatherby chick is full of crap. I mean, even if you could increase your life expectancy by five years from looking at women's breasts, their nagging must take off like ten years, right? Zing! <laughs> just playing, But come on, really, there's no way. We'd have way more immortal guys walking around out there than just the occasional Highlander. I do want to believe, though. You know what I'm wondering? I'm wondering how they divided up the test subjects. Thank you all for coming and agreeing to take part in this fascinating research study. As you know, I am Dr. Weatherby. The experiment entails one group of you who will be looking at boobies ten minutes a day for five years, and one group that must abstain from any gazing of hooters for equal duration. If you will please look in your envelopes now to see which group you have been placed in, we will go from there. Hey, I got a picture of some fun bags in mine. Does that mean I made it? Ja, if your envelope has a photograph of some uh, fun bags, you are a breast ogla. Please see me for your materials. Whoa, Whoa, wait. I just got a slip of paper with a frowny face drawn on it. What does that mean? Ja, You are in DAS control group. No brass for you. What? Uh, Come on, I signed up for this to look at boobs, just like everybody else Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, I mean, I already got a boob-watching HMO plan. I want to see boobs. I don't care about looking at boobs. I just don't want to die. I don't want to die either. I want boobs. Gentlemen, please, you aren't going to die any sooner than you would have before. Exactly. I mean, we are just going to live longer than you guys now Uh, and get to see boobs. boobs. It's not right. It's wrong. I don't want to die. Why can't I just design hover cars? Why? Well, I hope you've all started your New Year's resolutions. We here at the Drabblecast have a few resolutions of our own, but I'll go into that more after today's story, The Fine Point by Gary Cuba. Gary lives with his wife and an uncountable number of dogs and cats in a rural area not too far from Congaree National Swamp in South Carolina. His stories have appeared in Jim Baines Universe, Fictitious Force, The Late Late Show, and Alien Skin magazine. He unwraps his inner world on his website, thefoggiestnotion.com. So without further ado, The Fine Point by Gary Cuba. Once you start to see them, they seem to be everywhere. After rendering this enigmatic statement, my friend Rolfson brought his snifter of brandy close to his lips, swirled it gently, and took a sip. The chessboard on the small table between our chairs was devoid of all but a few pieces. He had beaten me once again. Every game we'd played over the last ten years had ended the same way. To me, it was just a game, an excuse to enjoy Rolfson's company each Saturday afternoon at his isolated manor house. I felt a touch of pity for the old bachelor, sequestered away as he was. Were it not for my visits, he'd have little contact at all with humanity. But I did relish our conversations. (laughs) See who, Rolfson, I asked. Not who, what? the quanta of reality he leaned towards me his long silvery locks sweeping unkempt over his shoulders the stuff that the supreme one makes the world out of thinking he's done a sufficient job of disguising it seems from us rolfson had always been eccentric and given to odd speculations I studied one of the antique ivory chess pieces, its base intricately crafted in an impossibly complex series of lacy balls carved within lacy balls, continuing on, seemingly, to infinity. <laughs> you're, you're being mystical again, Rolfson. W- what in heaven's name are you going on about now?" "'Look here,' he said, pointing to the oil painting on the wall over the mantel. I turned in my chair and looked at one of Rolfson's prized possessions, an original Impressionist painting by Surratt, done in the artist's pointless style. I'd marveled at it before, a busy urban landscape containing buildings and vehicles and energetic people, and one that devolved into a totally incomprehensible pastiche of individual pastel dots when viewed close up. Yes, its it's a wonderful piece— but I've, I've always felt Impressionism to be cheating somehow. As you've remarked before, Rolfson said. But why, exactly? What is it about the style that makes you feel that way? I stood and approached the painting, the heat of the low wood fire below it warming my woolen trousers. It seems false, my fingers reached up and hovered an inch from the painting's surface. Like, it's its simply not what reality is. I don't see my reality broken up into dots like this. It's artifice. A clever trick. That's all it is. But that is what the Supreme One depends on, my friend, Rolfson replied. He rose and stood beside me, looking up at the painting. This painting is merely symbolic, a clue. "'Surely you must admit that the universe is constructed from a uniform set of atomic building blocks.' I chafed slightly at his naive logic, the starting point of a thought experiment that any dilettante might fabricate. As a tenured full professor of physics, I'd encountered it often with my first-year students. (laughs) "'The atomic realm underlies all reality, Rolfson. I said. That's a given, and, and yes, atomic particles are monotonous and repetitive. No electron is different from the next. That extends to the molecular level, too. But above that, the macroscopic world is infinitely more complex, utterly chaotic on any scale you want to propose, self-similar, but infinitely variable. My elderly friend smiled at me and motioned to the French doors at the far end of the room. Follow me, he said. He stopped at a credenza and withdrew a digital camera from one of its drawers. It gave me a momentary start. Rolfson, wielding such a modern device, I could scarcely believe my eyes. We exited the house into the fading afternoon light and walked beyond the lichen-covered stone patio to the woods nearby. Rolfson had marked a spot with a small stake adorned with a strip of bright orange tape. He stood next to it, turned toward the north, and snapped a photograph. Then he led me through the woods, to another destination, quite far from the first, also marked with a stake sporting a similar garnishment. Rolfson snapped another picture, this time toward the east, and walked over to me. "'Here is the first one,' he said, displaying the saved image on the camera's LCD screen. And here is the second. I grabbed the camera from him and toggled its controls back and forth to show the first image, then the second. The pictures overlaid each other exactly, with only a very slight displacement of parallax. They were identical in all respects, down to the shape and placement of the oak leaves in the foreground trees, the organic detritus on the ground, the angle of the limbs that stretched above, absolutely identical in all detail. (laughs) A A trick, a coincidence, I sputtered. Yes, right on both accounts, Rolfson replied. A trick, to be sure, played by the Almighty. The dynamic quantum of nature writ large before us, about fifty meters across, and as best I can determine roughly hexagonal in shape. The resolution is smaller elsewhere, but here in the wild it need not be so fine. Regardless, it proves that God does not waste precious space in his divine database. He uses a large but manageable set of ontological tiling pieces to manifest the biggest part of his creation, copying and dispersing them in a randomly mixed fashion. But sometimes, duplicated pieces coincidentally end up being deposed too close to each other. That's a simple artifact of mathematics, don't you see? And I've I've found others. I'll become famous when I divulge my discovery. I stood there mute in the fading twilight, mindlessly flipping the two images on Rolfson's camera back and forth. Yes, I did see. Everything I thought I knew of reality dissolved in the face of the plain proof I held in my hands. The vagaries of mathematics, of random ordering, had shown the world to be nothing more than a cheaply manufactured article, its molded pieces like one might find in a crude, mass-produced plastic toy. And to think that a man like Rolfson, a misanthrope living half-crazy inside his own obsessively constrained mind, should be the one to discover that. A sudden chill swept through me as I thought of the awful repercussions were Rolfson to go public with his findings. The careful wrought basis of all religion, all science, would crumple under their weight. I didn't know which would be worse, for people of strong faith to learn that their God was less than omnipotent, that he was given to cutting corners, or for those without faith to be granted ultimate proof of a flawed divine creation, at once justifying all their baser instincts. I closed my eyes, heartsick with the thought. I could see nothing but human agony and turmoil ahead. This could not stand. If God truly endeavors to hide the untidy seams of His creation, I know he will forgive me for what I did to my old friend Rolfson next. Well, that was our story. I hope you liked it. You know, I came across the same discovery as Rolfson once, except it wasn't photographs in nature, it was Stephen King books. ZING! Feedback from episode 39, The Beekeepers, by J. Allen Pierce. This story got a lot of discussion going right away, and a lot of good response. Unfortunately, I accidentally erased all of the comments on the main page this weekend when I was trying to fix the site up, so all we have to go by are on the forums. I'm sorry if your comments were deleted. I do recall that a few people thought the story concept was so huge that it would have worked better as a full book or a movie not a flash piece. Some others had a hard time keeping up because it was so thick. But a lot of people really liked this one. Philippa said, Nice! I love a story that makes me queasy. I found this really well paced for an epic tale in barely 20 minutes. Mr. Tweedy said, Wow! Great story. Huge, epic, tragic, and also creepy enough to make your skin crawl. Also, lots of good discussion about various parasites and other fascinating exploitative relationships found in nature. Glad everyone enjoyed the story, and we hope to have more work by Jay in the future. Ah yes, so New Year's resolutions. So we are going to be changing around our ambiguous payment system, and are now offering three quarters of a cent per word for stories. We think this is a pretty decent deal for the time being, especially considering we take reprints and you can get paid again for a previously published story. We hope to offer more for flash fiction in the future, and you can help with that by donating to us via the link on our website. (coughs) Well that's all for this week. Join our discussion forums and tell us what you thought about today's story. You'll find the link on the website. There you can also learn about and submit to our Nigerian scam spam contest going on. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means, like the Supreme one, you can copy it all you like, but you can't change it or sell it. Our staff is made up of co-editors Luke Coddington, who is currently conducting research involving longevity and man-teats, Kendall Marchman, who was the first person to eagerly sign up for Luke's test, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, the guy with a terrible German accent. Remember to consult your pharmacist before deciding to take the red or the blue pill. Side effects from swallowing the truth can vary.